0: To get that. And he'd originally stolen boards from Hobie, and then apparently Hobie forgave him and, and let him borrow the money anyway.
1: With his movie
0: cast, Bruce Brown
1: and his two young stars prepared for the adventure of a lifetime. And most of what you see in the film shows that. It's real. But some of it isn't, especially the little set pieces like this early scene.
2: A winter evening before their departure, in front of a warm fire... Reading up on a few last-minute books on Africa, which would be their first stop.
1: The books have fake, obviously handwritten covers with hilarious titles like Africa on Nine Cents a Month by I'm a Liar.
0: But yeah, the whole thing is super cheesy, and like in the best way possible.
1: That goofy tone is a hundred percent Bruce Brown and it's like fifty percent of the movie's appeal. But the trip that they were planning was no joke. Remember that this was the early 60s. Most people didn't just hop on a plane and fly to the other side of the world. Most people hadn't even been on a plane. And they probably hadn't even heard of their first destination, which was Dakar, Senegal. It's
2: pretty scary paddling out for the first time at a strange spot like this. They had no idea what they might find in the water. So they stuck pretty close together. For moral support, they took off together in the first wave, figured if anything happened to them, it would happen equally and probably wouldn't hurt so badly that way.
1: The whole trip was filled with these kinds of adventures. But you notice pretty quickly that it's all voiceover. You never actually hear from the two surfers. That was not an aesthetic choice. Even if they could have afforded sound equipment back then, which they couldn't, the guys already had their surfboards to schlep around the world and there was no crew. So it was a silent film with music and narration, and it's probably just as well.
0: Even though Robert August and Mike Henson are, are on screen all the time, in a way, like, Bruce Brown is the main character because his voice and his – I mean, his, his narration is amazing.
2: As I mentioned, sharks are a tremendous problem here. If you go in the water away from the main beach, the odds are 50-50 you'll be killed by a shark. This beach is meshed or netted against sharks, but even here you keep your eyes open. You look over the top of a wave and see a fin coming toward you. Your heart stops. If you're swimming, you really wish you weren't. It turned out to be only a group of friendly porpoises who were coming in to see what was going on in their ocean. Shows you how well the nets work. Everyone's happy to see the porpoises because when they're around, they seem to keep the sharks away. Sharks and porpoises have yet to integrate in South Africa.
1: If there's a dramatic high point in the movie, it's a scene on the sand dunes of South Africa. It starts with a long shot of the surfers and their boards, wandering aimlessly across endless mountains of sand.
2: Halfway around the world and halfway across the dunes, it seemed like a bad idea. It started to get pretty hot. The odds were against us finding, sir. We didn't even know if we'd find the water you go looking for a surf, you don't look for a really big wave. If you found one, you'd never ride it in strange waters. It would be much too dangerous. What every surfer dreams of finding is a small wave with perfect shape, what we call a perfect wave. The odds against finding that are 10 million to one. They finally got their first look at Cape St. Francis, South Africa.
1: So they're there, standing on the dunes high above the ocean, and they see the perfect wave. Of course, that's not how it happened at all. They'd already been surfing there all day when Bruce Brown got the brilliant idea for the scene, and even though they were already totally wrung out from surfing, he made them drag their boards up and down the dunes in the brutal African sun until he got his shot. And that wasn't the only time Brown took artistic liberties at this location.
2: The waves looked like they'd been made by some kind of a machine rides were so long i couldn't get most of them on one piece of film here's mike further along still riding the same wave at cape st francis
1: if you watch the scene closely you'll notice that mike hinson surfs by robert august who's sitting in the water on his surfboard only hinson surfs by
0: robert august twice i mean if you asked me like point blank do you think that he that was two different waves i would have said oh obviously i guess they were But there's something about when you're in the moment of the movie, I just rolled with it. And I was like, that's a really long wave, you know, like um, you don't really I didn't really think it through because it's just such a magical feeling of a moment.
1: Bruce Brown never claimed to be an auteur of cinema verite. But that doesn't take anything away from the magic of the movie or its essential truth, as they say in film school. And audiences clearly didn't care one way or the other. When Brown finally screened his film back in the States in 1964, he packed the Santa Monica Civic with thousands of rabid surf fans. But the money men insisted that no one who lived more than 10 minutes from the beach
0: would pay to see it. So Bruce Brown came up with a plan. They were trying to find a really cold Midwestern place to just prove, no, this movie isn't just a California coastal movie. Like People will come out to see it. Brown rented a theater in Wichita,
1: Kansas, and it sold out in the middle of an epic snowstorm, and it kept selling out for two weeks. And when that didn't convince the buyers, he tried booking a theater in New York and sold out shows there. Two years went by before he finally found someone to release his movie— but it ended up doing awesome business and it got great reviews even from fancy critics like pauline kale it did so well in fact that a couple of years after it opened the two stars decided that they wanted a cut of the profits and so they showed up out of the blue at bruce brown's house to
0: collect robert august was there but writer keith plochek says it was mike hinson's idea mike actually thinks that robert august's dad tipped off bruce that they were coming because because bruce opened the door And basically, he was like, hey guys, I'm glad y'all showed up. I've um, been meaning to talk to you guys. I have, I want to give you guys a little bit of the cut of everything, you know, I'm having some success.